0: This is Mark Fletcher, and welcome to my world. Welcome to Southern Tales, Tall and Otherwise, Season 2, Episode 8, Uncle Gary, the Pot King. Or maybe we should call it the Marijuana King, or the Mary Jane King, anyway. Some people just have it made. Some make it because they are so smart. Some make it because they're born with a silver spoon. Some make it by hard work. Some make it by accident. And some make it in spite of themselves, while others just seem to be so lucky, until they're not. And that's where we're off to tonight. And while there might be some disputes about the actual facts, this is the way I remember it. And in my opinion, every goddamn word is true. So tonight, we finished the story we started in Season 1. You remember Season 1. You know, as I keep saying, most of these episodes build upon one another. And I really think it adds the episode if you know the characters and background. All these stories about myself, my family and friends, some related to me, some who might be related to me, some who are trying to hide that fact. Some are just Friends. We may call them uncles or cousins, but they've just been close their whole life, so it feels like they're kin. It, it, seriously, if you'd like to enjoy it more, I think, listen to them in order. Tonight's episode is no different, as we started at the beginning of this last, last season. You see, this is about Uncle Gary. Not the one with the little red-haired girl we talked about earlier. <clears throat> he was a decade later at Memphis State. But my Uncle Gary, as you know, he also started at Memphis State, but it was the early 70s. You remember the story about the girls next door and how Gary learned an important lesson? It's not about who you know, but sometimes it's about what you have access to. And he had discovered that marijuana, or pot as they called it way back then, was the key to many, many friendships. There was a whole underculture of folks From kids to college professors and bankers and lawyers who loved the stuff. And let's face it, it was harmless. Made you feel good, relieved stress, and oh yeah, it was illegal. And the cops back then, they didn't go easy on it like they do now. Heck, it's legal most places and should be legal everywhere. But remember, we're in the 70s and there are plenty of folks like Archie Bunker or my dad who still think that pot's going to ruin the country. Yes, sirree, it's nothing more than another evil communist plot to destroy the fiber and fabric of America. Or maybe not. Maybe it just makes you happy. So, during college, Gary spent as much, or maybe more of his time, studying pot. He learned about the different kinds, the different places it came from, and eventually, how to grow a plant or two. He started off real small. He just grew a couple plants in a field behind his parents' house in East Memphis. Took him a few tries, but eventually, he came up with some pretty good stuff. And he smoked it. And he shared it. Made a whole lot of friends that way. But it was the effect on girls that was the best. Now, Gary had always been a pretty cool guy with the ladies, but suddenly now, he was Mr. Popularity. It only increased his desire to find a way to continue that lifestyle. So he grew a few more and a few more. And then one day, a dude who he knew said, Hey, could I buy some of that? Now, Gary, who was high and was usually high, he said no. And then the guy offered him $200 for a small amount. Now, $200 in 1972 or three or four or whatever, it's a bunch. This got Gary's attention. Now, he'd been out job hunting and hadn't really turned up anything that he wanted to do. Because the truth is, you know, pot was his gateway drug to sweatpants and Cheetos. But they still hadn't discovered that for sure in the 70s. And Gary just wasn't motivated to really work a hard job on an assembly line or a factory or something. So suddenly, he wondered to himself if he might could just grow pot, maybe sell pot, still keep smoking pot himself. I mean, after all, most folks he was giving it to loved it so much that they just might pay. Hmm. So Gary sold some, and he planted some more. Soon, he was making much more than gas money, and it was easy. Gary had a green thumb, and he really enjoyed the agricultural process. It um, wasn't long before he'd moved into an apartment, and of course, he had installed growing lights in the extra room. Now he was growing year-round and doing well. But what to tell folks how he got money? He, he needed something legitimate, right? One day, after hitting happy hour at Overton Square... He noticed a building for sale. It had been a small florist. And he had the cash for a down payment. And suddenly, Gary was in the floral floral business right near Overton Square. Now, you may say, what's Overton Square? But in the 70s, that's where everyone in Memphis went to party. It was a place to be and a place to be seen. I mean, there were, you know, Solomon Alfreds, seventy Sams. Bombay Bicycle Club, Silky O'Sullivan's was there, uh, TGI Friday's, I can't even think about a place, Lafayette's Music Hall. Anyway, um, Gary had a legitimate business. Well, I, maybe that's the wrong word, not, not totally legitimate because, you know, half the building was an indoor greenhouse. And he was still using a field in the, in the county to grow as well. And now he had inventory. And because he was such a good guy, he had given out so much, he became even more popular. And one thing led to another. One day, he got a call from his cousin. Now, this guy was a well-known alcoholic and pretty frequent in the Memphis drunk tank. Uh, He was a house painter, right? Now, my dad used to say that half ass house painters were a dime a dozen. And this guy fit the bill. Well, he'd gotten arrested in Alabama for public drunk and needed someone to come bail him out. Now, Gary, just, gosh dang it, one of the nicest guys I've ever known, Uh, couldn't help himself. So he loaded up some fun and started driving. It wasn't long before he stopped for some beer, too. Now, here Gary is in the 70s, cruising through rural Alabama, sipping a beer and smoking a J. (laughs) Ain't life grand. Uh oh, he got pulled over. Now, he slipped a joint under the seat, and I guess that the local sheriff wasn't that you know pot sensitive at that time. But Gary had open beer. And open beer was like, you know, federal crime in these dry counties in Alabama. Um, Gary didn't even know what dry counties were. I mean, he grew up in Memphis, right? But here he was in one, and worse than that, out of state. Cop told him, I'm "Gonna have to haul you in, boy." And being a Sunday, the judge was out fishing, and Gary would have to wait in the cell till Monday. He said, "Boy, we're gonna have to impound your car." Just then, Gary started to sweat. You see, in the trunk, he had a duffel bag full of pot, prepackaged in the trunk, out of state. So while he was in the back of the police car, he saw his car being towed away. He couldn't sleep at all in the cell. All he could imagine was them going through his car and searching it and finding all kinds of awful things. And, I mean, he was positive that they were going to be on TV talking about the biggest drug bust in the county's history. Well, Monday morning, they took him before the judge. The judge, chewing tobacco, asked Gary why he thought he could drink beer in their town on a Sunday when most God-fearing people were at church. Of course, Gary didn't ask him why he was fishing on Sunday, but Gary was pretty darn concerned. He paid his $50 plus $15 court costs, and they told him where to find his car. All Gary could think about was this is a setup. They probably needed to have visual evidence of him claiming this car full of pot. Well, he got to the lot, he looked all around, didn't see anything. I mean, hesitantly, he walked in, gave the man the $25 tow fee, and walked toward the car. Okay, so far, Gay opens the car, drives away. That was it. He couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. Uh, Gary was just lucky that kind of way, right? And And... Gary's business, as I say, was just off Overton Square. Now, at the corner of Madison and Cooper was a laundry dry cleaner. I'm not sure if it's still there today or not. But it was just across from the public eye and Gertrude Gonzalez. Gary, who now lived in the back of his shop, he never bothered with washing clothes. There was an Asian lady who ran this place, and it made life easy. She washed his clothes by the pound. So he would just take his duffel bag of dirty clothes, drop them off, pick them up the next day folded and clean. One day, he was going to, li- to deliver some product, and when he arrived at the location and opened his duffel bag, he saw nothing but his dirty laundry. Shit! He had dropped off the wrong duffel bag. He was busted for sure. He didn't even want to drive back into town. But when he did, he parked at the Pop Tunes on Poplar Avenue a few blocks away and walk through backyards and whatnot till he was at the public eye. He slowly crept up the side and looked up and down the street. There was the laundry. He watched for maybe an hour. Didn't see anything strange. But should he try or just give it up and leave it there? If she hadn't called the cops, she surely didn't still have the pot. Maybe he should check her trash, right? Anyway, after a while... He figured, if I'm busted, I'm busted. So he went back to his car and drove up the laundry. Again, looking all around and kind of sweating like a pig, he nonchalantly walked in. The Asian lady looked up and said, Oh, Mr. Gary, you might want this. And without another word, she pulled at the duffel. He picked it up and walked out with a simple thank you. He continued to use the laundry for years, but a word was never spoken. Anyway, Gary got married, had a son, and the business continued to grow and grow. He eventually started up a friendship with the guys who ran Mid-South concerts. He became the supplier for bands who came to town. Then in late 1975, I think it was like November the 25th or something, the Beach Boys were scheduled to play Mid-South Coliseum. Now, We have a special two-part episode dedicated to the Beach Boys and another incident scheduled for a later show. So stay tuned. But anyway, Gary had plenty of pot on hand, but the Beach Boys brought their own dealer with them. He was a Hispanic guy named Rico. Rico and Gary had a good time backstage, and Rico asked Gary if he'd like to expand into some other drugs, like Coke. And first... Gary said, You know, not really. But then Rico passed on some numbers to him. Whoa. Gary could literally become a millionaire. Pretty damn easy. You see, he already had a distribution network. Rico had some other requirements, but it all seemed to be pretty workable. So the business grew and grew and grew. Gary was living well, he had a family. A legitimate business at least on the outside and life was good. He eventually needed a partner and this partner took control of the rural West Tennessee business including Jackson and Dyersburg. Rico had needed a remote landing spot out in the sticks and they had found a field in Obion County Northwest Tennessee. Things continued to go good. Gary met a ton of rock stars And as he moved up in the world, so did his family. Now, they lived in a brand new home in East Memphis. They had a pool. Nice stuff. You know, really taking life easy. One morning, Gary and his 12-year-old son, Bobby, this is in the early 80s, by the way, had stopped at the local Steak and Egg for breakfast and coffee. Gary started many of his days like this. He knew the folks there and the food was good. He would use your order like the Paul Bunyan special for $3.99. Anyway, they're reading the commercial appeal. Gary took the Metro section while Barbie had the, Bobby had the front page. Suddenly, Bobby blurted out, Dad, Uncle Jesse's picture's on the front page. Startled, Gary grabbed the paper. There, in big, bold headlines, Huge drug bust in Obion County. Now, Gary had asked his best friend to help him, you know, him and his partner out occasionally, and now he had his picture in the paper. Gary read on. It discussed a drug bust at a rural landing site. A plane full of cargo had been captured, as well as four men, Jesse being one of them. But, oddly enough, Gary's partner's name was not in the article. Nowhere to be found. This worried Gary even more. After dropping his son off at home, Gary raced to Tipton County, west of Covington, Tennessee, right on the Mississippi River, where they had a safe house. This is where they packaged and stored and had a hidden safe full of cash that needed to be laundered. Gary's heart raced as he drove. Ben should have been with Jesse. How could have he gotten away, and why had he not called Gary. A million questions with no answers. When Gary got to the house there were no cars. This might be a good sign, or it might not be. Gary entered the house. It had not been raided or searched. Everything was in order. He went to the safe, put in the combination, opened it up. It was empty. Completely empty. Now, maybe there was an explanation. He had to drive nearly all the way back to Covington to find a payphone. He called Ben. No answer. He called Ben's girlfriend. No answer. He called his house. Bobby answered. Has anyone called? Anyone stopped by asking questions? Anything? Nothing. This probably meant that Gary was in the clear. A sigh of relief. But what was in the safe? Probably just over a million dollars cash. In the early 80s, that was a lot of money. Hell, it still is. And it was gone. But there is no way that Ben would be doing anything other than just protecting the money, right? I mean, of course. They were partners. Days went by. Weeks. Months. Gary never heard a word. Then he got a tip that Ben had been seen in Oregon. Gary flew out, rented a car. He found nothing. Now, Gary's friend Jesse didn't squeal on Gary. He served three years and was released. Gary had reduced his business back to just a shop, and his lifestyle changed. In a year or two, he'd have to get a real job. He never, to this day, ever heard a word from Ben. He simply vanished with a million dollars. A few years later, Gary's son bar- barred their car for a night out in East Memphis, that night, the 10 o'clock news led with a story about a death at a railroad crossing East Memphis. At a state in Poplar Avenue, a car had been struck. The names had not been released, but one passenger survived and one did not. Gary's wife looked closer at the coverage. Gary, that looks like our car. And then the camera zoomed in on the crushed steering wheel. Gary, that's my keychain. And off they rushed to Baptist East. In the emergency room, they saw their son's best friend being attended to. The reality set in. Gary went home, but Jill stayed at the hospital. She stayed with the kid and his parents throughout his day. He'd been out of the hospital for a few weeks when Gary realized something was wrong. Jill continued to spend a lot of time with his kid. At first, Gary just thought it was to try to be closer to the spirit of Bobby. But soon it became apparent that she had formed a physical bond with this kid. Gary got a divorce. She actually married the kid when he graduated high school. Crazy, right? Gary moved on. Gary got a job. He remarried. Wound up doing real well. Became a part owner of a large construction company. He's retired now, and I speak to him every now and again. He lives up in Arkansas. We were reminiscing recently. He told me that when he was looking for retirement homes, one came up with a landing strip beside it. He said he just had to buy that one. For old time's sake. And in case Ben wanted to fly in with the money one day. For the liner notes to this episode and all episodes of the southern tales podcast please go to broadneckmusic.com where you'll find out more about the episode you can also find more about our kick-ass theme music from audra brown one of memphis's best young songwriters you can also contact me at stalespodcast at gmail.com you can ask questions hey or you can tell me your stories and eventually your stories can get on southern tales podcast once again Thanks for listening, and please tell a friend about the fun we're having. See you next week on Southern Tales, 20 Minutes and a Smile.